life takes a lot of focus. Life takes a lot of, of attention. And um, our attention is like the highest commodity there is right now. Don't believe me? Uh, open your phone up. Uh, don't believe me? Look on social media. Don't believe me? Turn on the television. So um, our attention, our focus is, is a, a, I think, one of our greatest co- commodities. And as Christians, our focus, our attention is to be given to, to Jesus in everything we do, not just on Sundays, but in everything we do. This is not our text today, but I want to show you this in Colossians. Uh, the book of Colossians, that's not our text, so don't go there. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, meaning you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, seek. Now, that's an all-time word. Of like We're seeking. We're doing this in everything we do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set. He says, seek and then set. Set your minds on things that are above. Like Put your attention, put your focus on things that are above, specifically Jesus, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now watch this next phrase. I love this phrase. When Christ, who is your life? Who, who's your life? Jesus. Jesus is now my life. That means that's everything, my, my home life, my work life, my school life, my everyday life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so there's this idea that Paul's writing right there that we are to have a lot of attention, a lot of our focus, a lot of our affections, our minds set upon Jesus. We get that, right? Okay. Um, but, but that's hard. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to lose focus on, on Jesus. There's a lot of things that can distract us. A lot of good things. We, we deal with a lot of good things in life that can be distracting. There's a lot of relationships. Relationships take time, am I right? I mean, if you, let's just, if you want to have a good relationship, it takes a lot of time, energy, and effort. And, and I've heard uh, Pastor Timmy say this many, many times. Uh, the quality of life is based upon the quality of your relationships. Would you agree with that? And so they take a lot of time, energy, and effort. And so like sometimes they can be a little bit distracting. Very good things, but distracting. Sometimes pain can distract us when we're suffering through tragic times, when we're suffering through the loss of people, when we're suffering through illnesses or just hardships that can take a lot of time. And, and then we just have life. Life just takes a lot of our attention, maintaining a home, maintaining an apartment, maintaining a vehicle, maintaining you know, our work, just, just doing things. And then on top of that, uh, we get out of routine sometimes. You ever go on a vacation or a trip somewhere, and like before that, you had all your routines, like you woke up, spent time with Jesus, worked out, did all these, things, you know, were eating right and all that, and then you go on a trip somewhere and you get back, and it takes like you know a year to get back in routine. Is that just me? Yeah. And so we get distracted, and then we just have busyness. We're just all a little bit too busy. You'll probably agree with the statement. Yes, Lord. <laughs> we know he uses a Mac. Um, you'll probably agree with this statement, not that one. As a Christian, Jesus is my greatest desire, but, he, but Jesus doesn't always have my full attention. Right? Jesus, like, we were to ask you, if I were to squeeze you and say, you'd be like, Jesus is my greatest desire, but then, then like, to look at our lives, each and every one of us, he doesn't always have our full attention. Well, we, why? We allow other things, good and bad, to take up a lot of real estate in our minds and our hearts. We're easily distracted. That doesn't mean that you love God any less, right? It doesn't. doesn't mean that you're perhaps engaged in sinful activity. It doesn't mean that as well. And it's not an evaluation saying that you are good or bad. It just means at times our affections, our focus, 
our, our, our desires just kind of get out of a line. Would you agree? What do we do about this? Well, thanks be to God, we have a Bible. So go to Psalm chapter 4. That's where we're going to find out a little bit about this today. Psalm chapter 4. It's uh, kind of in the middle of your Bible, Old Testament. Uh, count to 1, 2, 3, 4. That's Psalm. Psalm 4. If you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, we always say this. You're going to need a Bible here. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. Um, man, if we didn't have the Bible, what would we do? Like, it, it really is life. It is, it is a, a breath of life in each and every one of us. And so uh, if you don't have one, we have them in English and Spanish at these tables up front at, at Center Point as well. We'd love to give you one. Please stop by and grab one. Uh, there's version on your phone if, you, if you're into that. You can download that. But Psalm chapter 4. Psalm 4 was written by a guy by the name of David. If you know the Old Testament, David's a pretty key figure in there. And if you look at the time period in which he wrote this, he had a lot going on in his life. As a matter of fact, some think that his son Absalom uh, was basically waging war against him. Not like a little dispute, but like, I want to kill my dad. Like, you think you got some family problems? This is David's situation right here. On top of that, uh, there's a famine going on in the land. Now, a famine affects everyone, including the king. He may still have food on the table, but he has not won over the people's heart because if there's a famine land back then, they think, well, the king must be doing something wrong. And so if you were to look at David's poll numbers, David's poll numbers were plummeting. It was not looking good for a re-election for David here. And so you could say this guy had a lot going on in his life. It was easy for him to be distracted and lose a lot of focus. And thanks be to God, inspired by the third person of the Holy Spirit, David writes this this poem, this, this prayer, this song, it's kind of all intertwined. And if you, if you look at the beginning of it, it says the psalm was given to the choir master. Uh, this means that it's not like a prayer journal song, poem from David. No, it's actually to be put out amongst the people. That the people throughout generations, and they have, are to read this and to think about this and to sing this as well, to strengthen their faith. And so I think what David is wanting to, wanting inspired by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, wanting to do for us, he wants us to, to refocus. What does it look like when everything's just kind of going astray? What's it look like when distractions are many? How do we refocus? Psalm 4. Are you there? You guys ready to do some work this morning? Look, your football team's out of it now, so you don't have a game to go to. Some of you are like, too soon. Look, look at the first line here. He's writing, and he's, it's prayer at this point. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. I'm going to give you just four simple words. Like, you're going to be like, oh, man, I want some deep truths. I want some Greek, which is Hebrew here there. Like, no, no, I'm going to give you four words today that I think will help each and every one of us. Word number one, pray. Simple, right? Profound. Pray. That's what he's doing. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Uh, the people of God are going through this famine, so is David. And in a moment, you're going to see that people are just bad-mouthing David. Like they're mocking David, and they're mocking David's God, and they're saying, David, you should probably just go after other gods of other nations because it looks like they got their crops and all that. And before David does anything, he's got his family, he's got family troubles. Before he does anything, before he goes on the offense and tells them, you know, what they should do and what they should not do, before he goes and talks to them, before he does anything whatsoever, he prays. That's where he starts. A, a lot of his troubles, when you look through the Old Testament, are relational. And, and, and we, when we look at our lives, most of our distractions and most of our 
tough times and most of our struggles and most of our tensions are relational. And there's so often, if you're anything like me, when I have a relational issue, I want to instantly go to that person and I want to confront and I want to talk about it. And I want to draw it out. I'm not, I'm not a retreater. I'm like, nah, we got to get at this. I don't, I don't like this right now. Anybody else like that? You, you're not passive aggressive. You're aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we are passive aggressive to where like we have beef with someone and we just want to take a step back. and We don't want to say much to them. But if we do say anything whatsoever, it's cutting. It's not nice. Or maybe we're just a bit, and I hate to use this word, cowardly. I'm just not going to say anything at all. I'm just going to have scenarios in my mind, and I'm going, to, I'm going to have arguments in my mind. You ever have arguments in your mind with that person? I'm going to tell them this, but then they're going to say this, but then I'm going to say this. And I'm going to like, ha, ha, ha. Like, we do this all the time. What, what's David doing right here? Starting with God. He's got all this going on in his life. His son wants to murder him. He goes to God. Spurgeon said this, Surely we should all speak the more boldly to men if we had constant converse with God. He who dares to face his maker will not tremble before the sons of men. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to seek God out first because I want to live in the ways that he wants me to live in. I'm going to have the responses and the reactions I need to have, and he's going to shape that in me before I go and talk to a person. Uh, Jesus says something about this too, and we love this verse, and we memorize this verse, and it's a great verse, but I want you to think about this verse. It says in Matthew 6, but seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And we're like, yeah, I want to seek the kingdom of God. You cannot seek the kingdom of God without seeking the king first. And so that's, that's, that's prayer. We go to God. So what are we asking? What are we going to God first? Go back to Psalm 4.1. It says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Where does David's righteousness come from? It's borrowed or as they call it, alien righteousness from God himself. What does it mean when God is righteous? It means that God is right. And God is right 100% of the time. God always does what is good, right, and perfect. God has a will. And so David is going to him and is like, God, what is your will? Because your will is always right. Your will is always good, right, and perfect. And so if, look, if we just need a little bit of that refocus in life, the first I think starting point is let's just pray. And we'll do that in just a bit. Let's just pray. Like, I don't want to go to you first, but, but there's more. Uh, let's keep going. Ver, the rest of first, verse one, it says, you, God, have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayers. And so look at that first line. It says, you have given me, meaning, meaning he's, he's looking to the past. You've given me something. And then the second line, be gracious to me and hear my prayers. That's present. So he's going past and present. Here's what I think he's doing. The first word's pray. Second word is this, remember. Remember. Remember is a funny word. When you think about remember, it means to, to um, like if you had a hand cut off and the member has been removed, to remember is to attach it back. And this this idea that at times in life, we forget, we, we almost dislodge God from us and forget he is a part of the whole equation. And the idea to remember is like, no, 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 no. Remember, God is in my life. God is here. And to remember him to our, ourselves. One of the greatest practices we can do when we are, are struggling in our faith or trying to figure some things out in life is to just remember what God has done in the past. And it's easy to do. You can go grab your Bible out and you, and, and you can pray back to God what he's done in the past. And I, I really highly recommend that. You're like, I don't know what to say. 
tell God what he's done in the past. Not like he doesn't know it, but it's reminding you of what he's done. You can go back and look at Adam and Eve and what God has done in their lives. You can go look back at Abraham and Moses and David and look at what God has done in their lives. But the best person to go back in their lives and look at what God has done in them is yours. Do you, do you remember when God saved you? Do you remember that? Remember? So, some of you are like, it was so long ago. I don't remember any of it. Well, thanks be to God. For some of you, it's like, it's pretty recent. Like, reflect upon that. God, you, you, you took me from death to life. God, you took me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God, you saved me. Like, I can look back on pre-23-year-old me and I'm like, whew, God saved me. And remember that. Or, or how about this? Can you remember when God did something in your life? When God just showed up. When God gave you comfort when it just didn't make sense. When God gave you peace that just passed all understanding. When God created a miracle. Like there's been a couple of times in my life, another story for another day, I've seen God, God do a miracle. God, God heal people. When, when God used somebody else to speak a word into your life that no one else would know about and it was just a well-fit word. Do you remember that? Or, or I'll give you another one. What about when God used you? Do you remember those times in your life when God used you to, to say something to someone, to serve someone, to be generous to someone, to lead someone, when you invited someone and they came, when you told someone about, uh, about Jesus and they got saved. Do you remember those times? For some of you, listen, 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 listen. For some of you, you're like, man, I, that hasn't been my life in a long time. And, and perhaps you've lost focus and you're out of the game. You're out of the game. Here's how I would encourage you. Remember what God has done and just get back in the game. You don't have to come and sorry all over everybody. I'm sorry I was gone. I'm not, I don't do that. Just, just come back. And like, I, I want to get back in the game. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We are to remember. Um, the Old Testament is full of this. If you ever read the Old Testament, it's just, it's like, it's like they tell the stories over and over and over and over. And one of the things you notice in the Old Testament, when God would do something in, in, in his people's lives, they would take a pile of rocks and, and pile them up as a monument. You've seen that, right? In the Old Testament. They, they, they would do that. Why? Because they're human, and humans at times need something before their face to remember what God has done. They would name mountains after what God has done. They would name valleys after what God has done. I think we need to have that same practice. I, th I think when God does something in our life, maybe we need to go out into our backyards, grab a handful of all those rocks you got back there, and stack them up somewhere. And be like, no, I don't know. But I think we need a visual reminder. I think we do. I, th I think we need an object at times. I know sometimes a song can remind me what, what God has done. A piece of art can remind me what God has done. Sometimes we need like a, a trinket of some sort. Now listen, listen, don't let it become an idol. Don't worship it. Don't do that. Don't do that. But I think it's good for us to remember that God is good and God is righteous and God shows up and God loves you and he loves his people and so we need to be reminded of that over and over and over. So number one, pray. Number two, remember. Now, the next couple of verses, uh, you can kind of see a little inner dialogue of what's going on in David's life. He says, he's kind of speaking to the people, shaming him now. Verse two, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. So people, people are spreading lies about David. Anybody ever spread a lie on you? Anybody? It's the worst. They're mocking him. 
I mean, this is God's appointed leader. They're mocking him. Dangerous. Verse three. But know, this is what he says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. It's almost like he's warning everybody, like, keep it up. Like, God set me apart for this. Keep it up. Like, you fight, fight against me, you're probably going to be fighting against my, my father. And I love the idea we, that we get the opportunity to call God our father. Why? Because God cares for his children. I can't tell you how many times I've been out in public. I've got four children. I've been out in public, and I hear a kid cry out, Daddy! And I hear the tone. I hear all that. I'm like, not my kid. <laughs> I keep on walking. But, um, but, but when you hear your child... Oh, man, you know their tones, you know their voice, and they cry out, Daddy. And just like a good daddy, when they cry out, I go get their mother. <laughs> I've been at this game for a minute, people. <laughs> go get the mom. They know how to fix that stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Listen, the Lord hears you when you call. The Lord hears you because he's a good dad. He loves his sons and his daughters. Verse four, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, Selah. Word number three, pause. Feel like you're kind of out of step, out of tune, need a recalibration, need a little refocus. Pray, remember, pause. Uh, that word selah, there's been so much like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Here's what I think it means. It means pause. It's a pause in the song. Take a deep breath. Just pause. He talks about be angry in here. I think he means to tremble. I assume he's addressing the people that have been mocking him. He's telling them to be angry, tremble, but don't sin. And then he says, pause. Ponder in your own hearts. You know what ponder means? Ponder means this, to speak in your own heart. So we, we've, we've talked to God. We're remembering all the things God, now, 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 now do a little self-talk here. Ponder, speak in your own heart. Ask and answer some questions. I do want to tie anger to that because at times in life we get so angry and our anger boils over and we don't know what to do with our anger. And so maybe perhaps now for you, if you are angry, if you really struggle with anger, now's a great time to pause and ponder in your heart. Let me help you ponder in your heart. Why are you so angry? Why are you angry? Are you anger, angry with someone? Who, who, who are you angry with? Who is it? Why, and why are you so angry with them? Can I... Can I just be honest? Can you let it go? Now, I know everything is like, no, I can't, because if I let it go, then they'll just get by with it. Okay, can, we, can you just hand them over to the Lord? Let him be angry. He knows how to, he knows how to tune that just right. Are, are you angry at yourself? Like Christians, we get so angry at ourselves sometimes when we blow it, when we mess up and all that. And, and like Jesus, he knew what he, he was signing up to when he got a hold of you. He, he knew that you'd still kind of blunder through this life. That's a nice way to say it. And, and, and when we seek his forgiveness, he gives us his forgiveness. It's beautiful. But can, can you just kind of forgive yourself? 
if possible. But, there, but there's a thing about anger. Anger gives us power. And, and we want power. There's a thing about anger. Anger is a different kind of sin, isn't it? Because, or it can be a different, it's a different kind of emotion and it can turn into sin, but we love anger. Uh, Frederick Buckner said this, and listen in, because this sounds like us sometimes. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for kings. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. It gives us power. There is something about being in a relationship. Let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about this is a sibling, this is a parent, this is a child, this is a marriage. There's something satisfying about being the archaeologist in a relationship, isn't it? You know what an archaeologist does, right? They go digging up the past. And like they find a fossil of the past, they clean it off really good, and then they present it to you. Look what you did. And you're like, I know I did that, and I asked for forgiveness for that 18 years ago, 42 years ago, and like, why are we digging this back up? Because there's something powerful about that. I get to keep holding some power over you. Listen, listen, let's forgive, and it hurts, and we feel the pain, and and we got to kind of keep on moving forward, right? Let's just be honest, life's too short to be holding some bitterness towards other people. And honestly, you think you're imprisoning them by hanging on to that? It's really just imprisoning you. And to be honest, when there's forgiveness, you know, given and received and all that, can we have a statute of limitations where we can just like, you know what? The Lord says there's a statute of limitation on my sin because when he forgives it, he buries it on the ocean floor. It's as far as the east is from the west. And can't we do that with one another a little bit as well? Yeah? Because if, if we just hang on to it, it's just putting us in a cage. If we just hang on to it, it would just make us a prisoner. Why don't we release them? Because that's what forgiveness really is. We're releasing them. You're released. You know who did that for us? Jesus. He canceled our debts. Yeah, when you cancel a debt, you typically have to absorb the pain, and Jesus absorbed the pain on the cross. Am I right? But, but we are the recipients of that, and now we're in right relationship with him because he, somebody's got to absorb the pain. And we can, we, can, we can release. Why? Listen, nothing will destroy your relationships and your marriage more than bitterness, resentment, and keep bringing things back over and over and over. Some of you are living that right now. Am I right? You know that. And you just, you got to let go. I've heard this of bitterness, and I've said it a hundred times. Bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. So I, I think by the power of the gospel, we can forgive people. But sometimes we need to pause and reflect upon it. One of the great places to reflect upon is this. What has God forgiven me of? And make your little list, which won't be so little, and think, oh, well, then I can probably forgive them as well. Maybe you're angry with God. Some of you, like, like God, you didn't X, Y, Z. Or God, you wouldn't X, Y, Z. Or God, you couldn't, or whatever it is in your mind, and we're angry with God, and God has nothing to repent of. I'm going to say it one more time. God has nothing to repent of. As hard as life is and as cruel and dark as it feels at times, God has nothing to repent of. He is sovereign. 
He's in control. He's made promises. Trust those promises. Back at verse four, it says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Be silent. When's the last time you were silent? For like a long extended period of time. Like no sound, no people, silent. Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton's my favorite hermit. Thomas Merton's my favorite monk. Uh, he's from Bardstown, Kentucky. If you know anything about Bardstown, Kentucky, that's, where, that's, the, that's the birthplace of bourbon, nonetheless. Thomas Merton said this. Take what you will. Not all men are called to be hermits, but all men need enough silence and solitude in their lives to enable the deep inner voice of their own true self to be heard at least occasionally. When that inner voice is not heard, when man cannot attain to the spiritual peace that comes from being perfectly at one with his true self, his life is always miserable and exhausting. You ever just wonder why you're so fatigued? You're probably so dis disconnected with yourself. For he cannot go on happily for long unless he is con in contact with the spring of spiritual life which are hidden in the depths of his own soul. If a man is constantly exiled from his own home, locked out of his own spiritual solitude, he ceases to be a true person. He no longer lives as a man. Listen, pray, remember, pause. Just pause. Just sit in your own self for a while. Pause. Verse 5. He says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. That was the thing. Uh, the people of the day in, in, in David's time were like, look at what your God is doing. Your God's not showing up. Your God's not freeing you from all this trouble. Your God's not even giving you rain so you guys can eat. And so you should probably ditch your God and come and follow our gods as well. And what David is saying right here is like, no, no, no. Keep offering right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord even when it seems like he's not showing up. Even when it seems like all H-E double hockey sticks are breaking loose. Put your trust in the Lord and keep offering right sacrifices to him. Why? You can trust God no matter what you're going through. And I know sometimes that just feels like preacher talk. I get it. But you can Whatever you're going through, the good times, the bad times, the illness, the loss, the distractions, the relational issue, the uncertainty, all that you can trust the Lord. Or your other option is this, to run away from God. And when we run away from God, what do we do? When we run away from God, we equate that from running away from the church. Am I right? We're like, well, I mean, like God didn't show up, and the way I can get away from God is to get away from the church. And it, there's seasons where we run to the far country as we see of the prodigal. And the Lord always receives us back. Thanks be to God, am I right? But, but there's, a di there's, a different, there's a different way to do this. Instead of running from him, even in the hard times, we can run towards him. My fourth and final word is this, very simple, worship. Worship. He says, offer right sacrifices. That, that, is, that is worship. What does it mean to offer right sacrifices? For us as Christians now, on this side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, I think uh, Paul helps us out in Romans 12. In Romans 12, you might know this if you've been around the block a minute. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice. What does that mean? Your whole life. Your whole life is an act of worship. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, running off to everything else but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. Isn't that what we want, Christian? The will of God within worship. Offer your whole life to God. What is good and acceptable and, and, and perfect. 
Our distractions typically come out in some type of worship. We, we turn from God and turn to something else to give us what we need in the moment. That's called idolatry. Verse six, uh, there are many who say, who will show us some good? This is them mocking. Like, like your God is not showing you any good, so who should we run to to give us good? Because apparently God is not good. He's withholding his good. You ever, you ever, you ever notice that when like you're off, when you're, when you're just out of step, when you're like distracted, it seems like you have more of everything else. You ever notice that? Like you, you have less of God the way it feels or less just in tune or less just like communing with God, but you've got an abundance of other things. You've got more leisure. You've got more entertainment. You've got more food and drink. You've got more fun. You've got more money. You've got more stuff. You've got more hobbies. You've got more busyness. You've got more distractions. You've got more sex if you're married, if you're not. And yet you have more, 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 but you don't feel better. You don't feel, you don't feel whole. You, you ever wonder why that is? All those, those are great things. They are not meant to complete you. They don't have the ability to bear the weight of your existence. John says in 1 John 5, 21, he says, little children, keep yourself from idols a warning like these things are great these things are good but they'll, they'll become idols now you may be saying well Ty can, can I not enjoy these things no 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 God gives us these things for enjoyment like we should have fun right that's for enjoyment there's food and drink for fun that's that's for enjoyment there's sex within the the confines of, of marriage it should be for fun not one amen still no amens okay it's it great tell it Okay. There's great television and great relaxing and all these great things. We just can't allow great things to become God. Because a lot of times he gives us those things for our comfort and for our good. They can't be what we run to and escape with. Look at verse 6 again. He's, he, now he's praying to God. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now, I love how he says Face. All right, don't get confused with what I'm getting ready to say. God gives us, every human being, presents. You know, think about a wrapped Christmas present. God gives us presents. Presents. But notice that David talks about God's face. He's talking about God's presence. Presence with T, presence with C. Got it? So he, when he says your face, he's talking about the presence, the, 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 uh, the nearness of God, okay? God gives everyone presents, but David's talking about God's face, his presence. God himself, not the provisions. Now, you may be wondering, why do I feel like at times I'm so distracted, like my, God doesn't have my attention, he's not on my radar, and, you know, um, why is that? Well, listen, listen, listen. Because when you pray, when you remember, when you pause, and when you worship, God will alert you, inform you, or turn you on to that he will not allow you to be satisfied with his presence until you are satisfied with his presence. Right? Does, does that make sense? And so what we've done is, if we're not careful, we've worshipped our way kind of away from God's presence, going after his presence. And if we've done that, then the only way to do it is worship our way back into his presence. Make sense? I mean, that, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty, pretty simple. And so... 
for perhaps for a season, for a time period, Lent's coming, we need to put down his presence and really focus on his presence. Just be in his midst. Because he gives us really good presence, but we humans, you, me, what do we want to do? We want to overdrive his presence to be too much for us. We exaggerate everything. You know how we do this, right? Food is good, but when food is exaggerated, it's called? Sleep is normal, but exaggerated sleep is called? Laziness. Fun is normal, but too much fun exaggerated is distraction. Football is normal, but exaggerated football leads to you being a Dallas Cowboys fan and being really disappointed right now. That's on you. John Piper says, what we hunger for, for most, we worship. Um, Axel Rose said in 1987 on the album Appetite for Destruction in the song, Mr. Brownstone said this, I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it, but a little got more and more. I just keep trying to get a little better, say a little better than before. That's what we do. That's our hearts. You're like, who's the theologian Axel Rose? <laughs> What God wants to move us from is from distraction to satisfaction. That's what he wants to do. Look at verse 7 and 8. Let me get out because I'm about out of time. He says, um, this is him praying. Yes, he's, he's talking to God. He said, you have put more, what's the word? Oh, in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abounds. I love that. That is like a, that's a, that's a spiking the football in the face moment right there of like, they've got everything. They've got abundance over there. And David, I, I don't have a lot, but but I got you, and that's all I need. And because of that, I have joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is, if like someone gives you something, a happenstance happened, now I'm happy. Nothing wrong with that. But joy is like, no matter what's going on, I, I'm, I'm okay. Like, like, I got, like Jesus, I may have nothing, but Jesus is enough. And then the next verse, he says, in, what's that word right there? Peace, joy and peace. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. This dude has got a target on his back. This dude has got a people that he's leading that are upset with him because there's no food. And he's got, he talks about, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I love the idea of joy and peace because it makes me think of the fruit of the Spirit. In Christian, the way we experience joy and peace is not manufactured but it's a life deeply abiding in Jesus and you're like oh I want to deeply abide in Jesus let me tell you how I got four words pray remember pause worship right that, that's where our joy and peace comes from it's a life deeply abiding Jesus. I pray that the Lord would use this word this morning just to help recalibrate, help reattune your heart to his. I want to pray for us. Uh, before I pray, um, I'm going to ask you all to kind of be in a posture of prayer. Let's, let's just, let's practice silence for just a moment. I'll pray and then we'll go to the Lord's table together and feast on his goodness and his grace. Lord, your word says over and over 
for us just to be silent. No words. And so we sit before you now, silent. Oh, Lord, we are just grateful that we have this place to come to, this people to belong to, and your spirit that indwells, that you are present. Grateful for these moments of reprieve throughout the week. We've been so stirred and shaken and just uh, just an upheaval of the soul at times through the week. And yet we get to come in here and just let it settle. God, may we never take the gathering for granted that we can be together and silent before you. And God, I just pray for each and every one of us here that we, we've all got it a lot of life going on, a lot of good and a lot of not good, some more good than others and some more bad than others. And God, you care and know of each and every one of our lives and our, our situations. And, and Lord, you know when we feel just kind of dislocated and just out of step and out of rhythm. Lord, would you remind us that if we are in Christ our union is secure. Nothing can separate us from you. And yet our communing with you matters. That, that really is a part that affects the day-to-day -day and the quality of the day-to-day. -day. And I just pray, Spirit, that you would use these moments to really put us back in step with you, deeply abiding in the life of Christ. And, and, and in light of that, Lord, you would just give us a bit of joy. Give us a bit of peace. For, for some of us, like the last verse said, maybe it's just some sleep. May, may we be reminded, no matter what happens in this life, in you, 
we dwell in safety, as David said. May that bring great comfort to our souls today. Lord, would you draw us closer to you? Help us to focus, to seek you and set our minds upon you. Draw us closer to one another. And may all that we say and do, may it bring you glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen.